Hello and welcome to Real World HR, the podcast which is putting the human back into HR. I'm Louise Kennedy, HR expert, chartered CIPD professional and founder of award-winning HR consultancy Oculus HR. In the Real World HR podcast, we focus on people and of course, where there's people involved, there's sometimes problems. But we don't shy away from that. We tell the stories that we've learned from and explain the processes that have supported solutions. This episode features award-winning serial entrepreneur Alice Hall. Alice is currently founder and creative director at Rowan Homes, a luxury glam homeware brand. She exits her first business, Pink Boutique, after scaling it to 25 million turnover and has carried lessons from this business into building the rapid growth of Rowan Homes. When building her business, Alice has prioritised people. She feels passionate that companies should invest in creating an excellent culture. After all, we spend much of our lives at work. In this episode, we follow Alice's journey to see how we put this into practice for her entrepreneurial journey, the importance of culture in attraction and retention and employee well-being, and practical ways businesses can enhance their culture. Are you ready to step into the real world of HR? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited. And this is a topic that I love talking about, employee engagement and culture. So I'm really excited to chat more. So my journey began, I was, I actually studied journalism at university and I graduated in the recession. So there were very little jobs and I kind of chickened out of moving to London as well, where there might have been a few jobs that I could access. I ended up uh, going to to teach in a high school and I was a cover teacher so I would walk in and teach any topic from physics to dance and I would sometimes have a lesson plan sometimes I didn't and that was a really core thing for me before I start my business little did I know that I would actually start a business because it really enhanced my confidence presenting to people and kind of a few managerial skills I think there as well with managing a class of teenagers And I actually moved from high school, which I absolutely loved, to primary school, which was very different in terms of the work and just teenagers, kind of, there was a lot of banter. Younger kids are absolutely gorgeous, but it's just a different, real different type of work. And I was in nursery and reception. So I moved into that role and I really just wasn't enjoying it to be honest the reason that I moved is because I couldn't afford my bills because I was living on my own I had bought my first house my mum's always been in property so she really encouraged me to get on the property ladder but it really wasn't practical to be kind of owning my house paying a mortgage and all of that on such a low wage So I loved glam fashion at the time and none of the brands that were online really did the glam look. I'm from Newcastle, the party city. Uh, I loved the tan, I loved the lashes. I just loved everything glamorous. So I thought, you know what, I really think I could start a brand. Well, no, actually it wasn't even that advanced. I just thought, I might be able to sell some stuff on eBay and make a little bit more money so I can afford like my contact lenses. (laughs) Literally, you know what? I I would love to be able to afford to go out, but I literally, I couldn't even afford like contact lenses. That was a luxury. So I was like, so (laughs) I had got a job in my favorite bar so that I, I could go out in a way, but earn as I was doing it. And that started really building my, awareness of how much I could fit into my working day and I think more work ethic because I wasn't naturally I'd say I wasn't naturally hard working I wasn't naturally engaged at school or at university in fact so I 
ended up buying some dresses from a wholesaler. I found a wholesaler. I had a few failed attempts and asked one of the girls who used to come into the bar, who was really glam, if she would model them, shop them in her living room, a mom's living room, and um, put them on eBay and they sold. And so I didn't know what to do because in my head I thought, oh, I can take that money and help supplement my income. But I remember asking my mum kind of, what do you think I should do? And she said, what about if you reinvest? So that became the motto, reinvest. So I bought two packs and then I bought four packs and I just kept on doubling up. Somewhere along the the journey, I think I was at about 60 parcels a day going out that I said to my mum, like, do you think that I can leave my job now? And she said, well, let's work it out. And, and we figured out that I could. So so were you making enough at that point to be able to think, well, actually, I can leave my job and go and earn enough to be able to live and to be able to reinvest as well? Yeah, just to match my basic, like my basic wage. Yeah. Right, okay. And then we didn't take, so I set up with my mum. So she said, look, you look after the creative, the marketing, the buy-in, all the fluffy stuff. I'll do the business admin, the finance, you know, set it, let's set it up as a company. Let's go in one share each. So we did that. I was really lucky to have her to support me because I was quite young at the time. I was 23. I was quite, at the time, well, I, I think I was a young 23 year old, but probably in nowadays kind of ways I wasn't. And we just went for it and, and grew that business. So it was at the kitchen table. And then it went like into the loft and then into my mom's garage. And then we needed to get staff. And I was like, we really need a premises because in my head, we needed a physical premises to be able to hire people. There was, she had goats, which was like one of her lifelong ambitions to have goats. I don't know why. Your your mom had goats. (laughs) Yeah, she just loved goats. And she, I feel like she finally got to the point where she was like, I can have goats because she lived in like a barn conversion. And I had this thing in my head that we couldn't hire people and have them walk past the goat pen (laughs) into the garage. I was like, this is not a professional setup. (laughs) So we got a warehouse. Well, first we um, we moved into lovely carpeted warm offices and put all the stock in there. And we soon realized that's not how it was going to work in terms of overhead for storing stuff and, and warehousing, picking and packing. So we moved into a warehouse with offices and we just kept on scaling up and then kind of we were scaled up the team as we went we figured everything out from every you know all the HR the finance the ops all of the buy-in logistics the margin and we would just pick up little nuggets along the way we would just implement them and we just it was like the biggest crash course degree ever and we scaled that business over eight years and we had around 70 people um, at the time that I exited and we're doing 25 million turnover a year. We didn't take any external investments, so we had just kept on reinvesting. And for the first few years, didn't draw very much profit at all, just kind of kept ourselves on basic wages just so we could really reinvest as much as physically possible into the business. So that was obviously from, I mean, loads of points that have come from there. That journey, I was actually talking to some people about children at school, you know, kind of as they're coming out of school. 
the other day and it was about that idea that people don't know that and setting a business up is an option. You know, when you're at school, you very much think, well, I have to be this or I have to be that and it has to be a job. And I think there's statistics there now that the, the jobs that are created in five years' time are completely different to what's there now, isn't it? And you're probably probably testament to that, isn't it? Because the, the roles that probably people that are doing in your business in Pink Boutique and, and certainly now in your business, they're probably jobs that weren't available five years ago as well, isn't it? It'd be yeah. completely different. Absolutely. I think things are changing all the time. Demands are changing. There are new roles that it's really hard to hire for. Like people who have extensive experience in social media are hard to come by because those social platforms haven't been around for that long. So yeah, um, I think it's important that we tell young people that they can be involved in enterprise and work for themselves. But it's also really, really important that we talk about what being an intrapreneur can be as well and and how successful you can be, how fulfilling that can be and how much structure that can give to you because running your own business is not for everyone. And I think if I'd known at the start what I was going to go through in business, there's no way I would have signed up. (laughs) Well, you wouldn't just automatically sign up, would you? You'd say, well, that's a hard work. If I'd seen that job spec, I would have been like, no, I would have had major imposter syndrome and I would have said, no, you're right, thanks. But you've learned, but you learned that along the way, though, didn't you? You've learned kind of, as you say, you've picked certain things up. You've, you know, from a HR point of view, you learned more than finance. You learned more and kind of how you're managing people and situations and logistics and warehousing and scale and all of that's come kind of time by time by time, hasn't it? I would imagine as you've continued to grow, and I would imagine you made mistakes along the way as well, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And as I always say, you don't lose in business; you learn. So it's all just part of the big degree that you're going through. And yes, I have made the wrong choices on occasion. Um, but without doing that, there's no way that you can come to a point where you feel confident in the choices that you do make. So you almost need to be able to sometimes make the right, the wrong choices and hope that that doesn't have really long lasting impacts. It's kind of, it's like raising kids, you know, you can't, wrap them in cotton wool you need to let them make the mistakes so that they can learn and I think that's what first business is all about that first business was such a massive learning curve for me and do you think you've taken many of the things that you've learned into your new business as in when you were kind of planning that that initial setup of your business were you kind of already thinking right we definitely can't do that or we definitely need to do this or this is a priority or this is was that part of that planning element or did you just go into it and just kind of run headlong again um for your new business yeah I think it it just organically happened so we, we didn't really have a clue where it was going to go so exited the fashion business at the start of the pandemic actually was going through before the pandemic had no clue that was going to happen and then we were planning to go traveling for a year because we had spent eight years in business and it had been really intense. Um, sitting in a warehouse for that long practically had vitamin D deficiency. So we were like, <laughs> let's get out. And we'd never been able to travel. We'd taken very little holidays and stuff. So when our daughter was due to go to school in the September, so we thought, let's travel before like we can't and we're kind of stuck to the holidays or whatever. And then the pandemic hit, so all of the travel was cancelled. So we spent two weeks in the house and we literally were going absolutely stir crazy. You can imagine going from really involved um, senior management roles, having your own business, to all being in together. I think we're all grating on each other. (laughs) Two weeks in. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> and um, we said, let's get an office. So we're allowed out. And we decided to to set up a new business. So we actually started with three business ideas. We set up a group. Um, and the reason being, we knew that we wanted some senior or um, middle managers in there because it's very hard going from a considerable business setup to suddenly it just being like you two again and doing all of the processes and the setup and everything yourself. And we weren't specialists in everything that we'd overseen. So in terms of like digital, we could oversee it, but all of the admin of getting things set up and all of the technical side of things, we knew that we needed really strong people in. Um, same with HR. So getting um, a people manager in was one of those first things that we did. Um, even just the contracts, you know, everything, getting everything organized. So we decided to set up three businesses and we said, well, hopefully one will work. We kind of had an agency type setup. So we were almost contracting the team into different things. But after about Mm, probably six to eight months of running the three, we realized that one was the real winner. And we said, I wonder what would happen if we refocused the team into the one business, how far it could go. So we decided to close down the other businesses, which were in food and the margin was challenging anyway. We had some real learnings and uh, focus on this interior side of things. And it naturally just kind of blew up. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what happened. Um, when we organically, it kind of evolved. So we didn't have a set agenda on what we we're going to do. But I think during the pandemic, all this stuff came to the surface around like people thinking life short. I spend so much time at work. I may as well enjoy myself. And we felt that too. And I think what's come naturally along the journey is we want to enjoy ourselves at work. And naturally, I think the things that we have kind of put in to make it a nice workplace have suited the rest of our team as well. So I think we are intuitive. So by nature, we can see when things work and don't. So it's just organically kind of evolved. And now I'm really, really proud of the culture that we've created. So do you think the culture that you had at Pink Boutique, was was that similar to what you've got now? Or do you think you've kind of thought, actually, no, we want, we want something different or we want to take it in a different direction? What would be the kind of comparables that you could make between the two? Um, I think it's different, but we are in different times. You know, that was 10 years ago that I started mm -hmm. that business and workplaces were different they definitely were I think they were they're massively different I think 10 years ago to what you've got now after COVID yeah. I think you've kind of you've got people as you say people want different things don't they? they want the flexibility they want to be able to live their lives they want to enjoy where they are and I think people have got more opportunities for the roles now isn't it where an employer used to go out to recruit somebody and then you know you'd have your pick of the people where I think the employees or the candidates are picking the the employer now as, as opposed to the other way around, doesn't it? Yeah. And I probably liken it first business versus second business is I only have one child, but I would imagine it's how it feels when you have your second child. It was the first, you're neurotic, really emotional. Anyone gives you any advice you think they're saying you're a bad mom or whatever. <laughs> By the second one, 
you've done your training you know know what you're doing yeah you know Mm -hmm. it's not like the world's gonna end you know it's Mm -hmm. not that so I think in the first business I was just so it was my absolute everything it was my baby so yeah I think I think that leadership is the probably the most important part of culture you can have snazzy offices you can have you know all these policies and whatever all these perks but really if the leaders aren't energized invested positive and really care about the people in the business I I don't see how you can have a strong culture so I think there's some key differences like in this business now we sit on the open floor with everyone so me and my husband, he's MD, I'm creative director. We sit on opposite sides of the office, but we're quite laid back. There's a lot of laughter in the office. We all have a lovely time. And I think that's really key because I used to sit in a, like a glass box, basically. And I, people were scared to come to me. It, it was a serious thing if I asked them, you know, to come in and have a chat. And I think they probably felt like I was always watching. I am so much more integrated now. And so I think people find us more approachable. They hear the open conversations. We are very transparent. Unless there's like some serious HR thing or interviews, that's all that really happens in the closed meeting rooms. We talk openly about sales. We talk about profit and we talk about potential sale in the future or listing. So I think that people feel valued. They feel that they know what's going on. And that's a really key thing as well. So do you feel like everybody's very much included in the, without the cliche, but within the journey that's kind of taken place from a business point of view from, because uh, I'm imagining that you've recruited staff along the way as well. Are you still kind of on that journey of recruiting new people into the business all the time? Yeah, so because we're growing so quickly, we are recruiting all of the time. Okay. So we say that we're higher on personality. I think that's probably a bit of a cliche now in HR, the HR and recruitment world, but um skill set is important. But if we just if we feel like it's gonna upset the vibe that we've got, like we know that we've got a really special thing. If we think that something's going to upset the vibe or like challenge in a not necessarily positive way, we wouldn't bring that person in. So it's about protecting people. And I think, you know, sometimes in the past I might have thought, oh, yeah, that will really shake that up. This person will really shake that whole system up, that whole process up. But that's not really what we're about now. It's about gently, sustainably and respectfully adding new hires to the business who are going to help everyone grow together. So, yeah, we continue to recruit. We also bring the team in on interviews. We always do two-stage interview process now. So they meet four different people. Um, There's always a director in there. But we really just take feedback from the team on what they think. And I think that's so important. I think when we think about 
the values that you've got within the business and obviously the cultural element of it. And I think you, as you say, you want to be able to everyone to be able to work together. You don't want them to be upset. You just want kind of the, the, the quite harmonious, really, isn't it? As long as the work's getting done and being able to achieve. I think it obviously sounds like it's a really important aspect, but I think people are now recruiting more based upon the values and the culture, thinking about how that person would fit in. As opposed to the skill set, as you say, skill set is important, but there are skills that can be learned. And I would imagine even in your team with all your social media people, as you say, with the different platforms, that'll be a continuous cycle that you're kind of going through to be able to learn and do training and development in the different areas to be able to improve what it is that they're doing. So I think it's just so, so important to think about the value and the vision, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And we do have to hire people without as much experience as we would like and train them in-house but that's totally fine and because we are currently in the one office open plan well we do have a customer experience office um who do all the customer service and personal shopping but with marketing and buying and creative all being on the same floor people come in and they literally sit with us so they hear everything, they're involved in everything. So we've got quite a casual approach to training, which is just be in it and amongst it and you'll learn it. Um, so it's not like a rigorous structured routine. It's just let's sit next to each other and knowledge share really and ask me if you've got questions. So we are constantly training people and that's where I've found the most value is now People can make decisions based on what they've heard my feedback to be from the past. So we're seeing this fantastic growth of people who came in in junior roles. Some of the team have had, you know, two, three promotions and we've been trading for two years because they are just really grasping and understanding and one of the things we hold, held a strategy day and one of the things that the team flagged was that they would like us to share more of our knowledge, me and Andrew. That was about nine months. No, it was in January, start of the year. So nearly a year ago. And so we've been really focused on that and um, so that they can make decisions empowered by our experience so we're kind of handing it down. And I think that's how we're nurturing and growing the team. But it's not overly structured. It's not too much effort. It's just quite organic and it just flows. And now I just think we trust people to make those decisions. And do you think you're taking a, a like a mentor role in that? Do you think you're mentoring some of the people that are coming in that you're doing that learning with? Or do you, is that a part of what you play within the within the business at the moment? Yes, I think just naturally we're mentor probably all day, every day. Every day. That's and what it sounds always like. Always uh -huh. there. Yeah. And every if someone comes in, they're having a conversation, we will kind of, you know, get involved. If they ask us to, we'll give our opinion. But what I'm finding now is, and I love it, like the junior managers will ask the question that I've got in my head. So they Brilliant. know exactly what I'm gonna mm -hmm. say. And it's just so empowering. It's just honestly just the best to have really brilliant people who are positive and really bought in and that we trust absolutely. And it's a, just a pleasure to be in business, enjoy ourselves and not have that roller coaster of, you know, first business. Because I know that we know the world's not going to end if, if something minor happens. Yeah, you've got a different perspective on it, isn't it? Yeah. I think 
I was at a, a roundtable event um, the other morning and it was talking about um, like a learning culture. You know, that culture was very much bedded into, you know, sorry, learning's very much bedded into the culture of a business as well. And that very much sounds like what you're talking about. And I think my perspective when I was talking the other day, a lot of small businesses don't know who they are from a cultural point of view to start with. So then trying to say that there need to be a learning culture as well. I think would probably just blow some of the people that we work with, like their minds would just be completely blown thinking we're just getting by day to day, never mind thinking about all the other things that come into it. But you're, you sound like you've very much got that learning culture, but very much on a relaxed, just, uh, you know, a, a slow development. People can kind of work at the pace that they need to to learn certain things, but obviously that they can they can really progress and work through and do some really good succession planning as well, isn't it? To be able to move people through the business, as you say, the, the lady who's had the um, some promotions there as well, which is great to hear. Um, because as I say, when we work with so many small businesses, you don't always get that aspect of it, and probably because they haven't got the experience that you have to go from business one to business two, isn't it? Absolutely, and I think that if you are as a leader, you're intrigued and love learning, you'll encourage your team to do so as well. So, I think because me and Andrea are always looking around at new stuff, like new developments, new ideas. We're always talking new. One thing that has happened in our organization is the team are really used to change. We love change. And I know change management tends to be quite a hard thing to deliver in kind of legacy teams, but we even move desks around all the time. All right. <laughs> we, we change plans all of the time. So Everybody knows we social media is a really strong channel for us. The algorithm can change overnight. So we have to be so flexible that we go, oh, I know that we did loads on that, but it's just not working. Put it to one side. Let's try this new thing. So everybody's dead, flexible, dynamic, adaptable. And I think that's why they're in this kind of learning mode all of the time. Because life is learning all of the time. I think we think of it like you learn at school or you learn at uni and then you just go and put it into practice. Like, but I'm learning every day. Learning's absolutely infinite. So I think, yeah, we, we're naturally that way inclined, but I can imagine it would be challenging if the leadership team were not that way inclined. I, I just think whatever it's being led, like an organization is being led by is what will trickle through yeah i think you've made so many good points there and i think that trying to keep people on track with what you're doing because change management again huge area isn't it and so many people especially if they've been your business is new you know still a couple of years within the last uh, first couple of years some older businesses kind of really people just don't like change so they don't like the update to it they don't like well we've always done it that way why are we ever going to do it any different and it's such a big struggle uh, some some of the type of businesses we do we do a lot of work with GP surgeries as well and as you can imagine some of these people have been in the role for 20 years they don't want to answer the phone in that way they don't want to say something different you know but it's which sounds really small but actually they just point blank won't do something you know so it's great to be able to have that and as you say it's kind of taking it through from a learning perspective to kind of keep it moving on, isn't it? Because that'll keep your business fresh. It keeps it new, keeps people engaged. So do you think, I'm just thinking about from that point of view, do you have, um, what's your kind of employee retention like, you know, do you kind of generally keep people or do people go off because pastors new because of different opportunities? What what kind of, what do you think around that element of it? 
generally people want to continue being part of the journey. If we feel like we've made a hire that isn't quite right, it's really important that we address that really quickly because it can be damaging to the team. So I think that first kind of month is really crucial in figuring that out. So that's where, you know, it might go against our score, but the people who joined us at the start are are really engaged. They're still here. I mean, we're only two years in, but we we launched our EMI scheme just earlier in the year and we gave 10% of our shares um, as share options to the team. Okay. So they've got a platform they can log in and see the value of their share options at any time. So I feel like the team are really, really invested in growing the business and that has been a really key thing and I, I would highly recommend it. I just think everybody feels like it's partly theirs and I'll go and if I'm out of the business for a couple of days, I come back and like their chal- the team are challenging me on things, you know, they're like, did you get to do that? You know, we need to get this boxed off or they'll do stuff like they'll fully redo the whole studio when we go on holiday so that when we come back, they're like, oh, and Alice and Andrew come back like we could have it all done in the really you know it there is absolutely no doubt that when we're away like they are cracking on you know yeah. which is just so lovely it's so nice so really you've got the investment there from people because you know vested interest really isn't it because they they're going to potentially get something from that as well and that's such a good idea to kind of do some type of share scheme on there because you say people buy into it more don't they they buy into the company, but also it probably is really good from your point of view that they challenge you upon what you're doing, you know, because actually it makes you accountable to the team about their share option really, doesn't it? I think that's really good, a really good perspective to be able to put it from as well. Absolutely. And I think feedback from the team is important. And I, um, I think the other thing in leadership, it's good to be open to feedback before I was terrified of feedback. But now I think part of our one-to-one process is getting that feedback from the team. And I think I am particularly very open with what I'm not good at. And I think hopefully that inspires the team to understand which roles and which routes will be right for them on the journey. Because we're open, you know, I say I am a pretty disorganized person, like, I cannot keep on top of the email inbox. I am not the project manager. I'll do it if I have to. And if it's time sensitive, it's going to add a lot of value. But I I just say, you know, I'm pretty useless at time management, <laughs> project management, whatever. But creative stuff, I can dream up stuff. Yeah. And really that's that's my value add to the business. So what I try and engage people on is, right, what is what is your your core strength that you love doing what's your superpower let's try and get you down a route and a progression that you will really enjoy because when people enjoy what they're doing you know it's not like work is it yeah, it's it's no, lovely everyone's happier and so there's no point people doing stuff that they don't enjoy so if we've got someone really good it's kind of right how can we retain you Maybe we can delegate that bit that you don't enjoy or, you know, that you... Yeah, so you're quite prepared to look at people's roles to be able to say, yeah. well, actually, you don't, you don't particularly like that, but no, you're not great, but actually somebody else is really good at it and strong. 
Yeah. That's, that's a real strong, I was thinking the other word I was really thinking about while you were talking there is kind of that empowerment part. You know, it sounds like you really empower the people to empower your people, empower your employees to to make a difference as well and to be accountable and to be able to review that job description element of to be able to say, well, actually, we can take this part out or we can do this part or somebody else can support it. I think it's just an, a, a real positive for anybody that's within those type of roles as well. Yeah, and I think if there's a business case for it, and everybody in the organisation, I think, thinks commercially, will test something. Sometimes we don't know what the return on investment is going to be or if it's going to have a positive impact. But if we can test it and see the outcome, then great. But everyone is thinking like, oh, if I was to delegate that, what would the increase in overhead be? Could we be investing that money into stock or another role? What would that mean for the bottom line? What would that mean for my share options? So I think they're thinking commercially and sometimes they'll say, you know, like it's not really big enough to delegate as a role or like it's all right. I think I can manage that much. It's not my favorite thing to do in the world, but once we get a bit bigger, we can create a role for that. Or So they're really kind of talking about it as if it's their business, which I think is a key difference for Definitely. me. And I think that commercial aspect of it is really good. And I think that that must come from you and your husband being in the room, mustn't it? Because you're talking that way, you'll be talking to other people that way, they'll hear you talking to probably people that you're buying from, suppliers, customers, they'll, they'll hear that conversation. So that, because otherwise you can't really install that commercial awareness into everybody, can you? Without yeah. them hearing it day to day. Well, I think that you don't have it until you've been, run your own business or at a really senior level, probably director level in a business. You don't have the awareness of the impact that things can have on other departments. Whereas because we're quite close-knit and they hear those commercial conversations all the time, I think they're more likely to think, right, we could do this, but what impact is that going to have on the warehouse or what impact is that going to have on customers and, and the experience? So, and, and is that going to erode the margin on, you know, that product? So they are really thinking holistically. So hopefully, yes, that knowledge transfer has and continues to take place. And it, it's great for the future element of whatever they go on to do in the future, isn't it? You know, whether it's with your company or whether another company is as they move on over time. But for for a, a skill set point back to that, you know, having good the values, but having that skill set of having that commercial awareness at a role that you might not necessarily think, I don't know, someone in social media might not would not normally have. I think that's a real benefit to people um for for future progression progression of their own, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think um, I used to be terrified of people leaving the business. I mean, we do have some like pretty cracking people here that would be pretty gutted. But now I am more like if they feel that that's right for them, I'll absolutely celebrate that because if they're looking around, their heart's not in this business. Yeah. And I think I naively thought before if we could like retain people, even if they didn't want to be there, like that would still get the same value out of them but it changes if their if the heads the heart's not there if their heart's not in the business you're not going to get like the most out of them so I don't one of the things that I don't believe in now is counter offering I'm I completely think, on board with that <laughs> like, yes. I've learned 
And I've done it before. I've counter-offered and I've somewhat naively not realised the situation and the fact that that person has possibly gone out to do that on purpose. But I just think if, yeah, if people have kind of left the business in in their head, then they're, they're not fully present or invested. So, yeah, if people are looking around and want to go for the next adventure, the next journey, then I totally celebrate that. And I'm a really ambitious person. Uh, you know, I think it's fantastic if other people are ambitious and if some some other route can give them that journey, then again, I totally celebrate that. Yeah, I completely agree with what you've said. When people, we often, again, doing what we do, we often have companies that will say, oh, someone's put the notice in, we're going to make them a counter offer or we want to, you know, want to keep them, retain them. And I'm always like, I know, but as you've said, their head's not in it anymore. They don't want to be there because they wouldn't have looked somewhere else. And actually, if they're just doing it for a bargain and chip of finances, actually, is that the person that you want within the business anyway? It's generally yeah, not, is exactly. it? And and if they don't leave now, they'll leave in the future where I think by all accounts, what you're creating is that you you empowering people to be able to have um, great skills and benefits and have good values and, and a good proposition that actually in three, four years time, they might want to go and do something else that kind of that, you know, potentially you might not be able to offer, but they've got the the scale up of growth, you know, that they want or they might be ambitious themselves. So I think yeah. being able to provide that's a real great benefit to anybody of any age, really. And also on that, we because of our profile on social media, I have people getting in touch saying I want to work for Rowan. I was going to ask you that. I was going to say to people get into it. Because it it looks, you know, like one of the events that you've done yesterday, which we'll just mention, obviously you've done a Thanksgiving for um, one of your members of staff who was American. And when you see that, you kind of think, God, why would you not want to go and work there? You know, if you've got, if you're interested in, you know, kind of the the product that you're selling and you've got the skill set to be able to do it and you think the values are the same, why would you not? So I would imagine people must do that to you all the time. Well, we do, I get, Inboxes saying, you know, when you've got a role, please let me know. Here's my CV. I know you haven't got anything right now, but please keep me in mind. Um, so we are kind of building that awareness. So if someone was to choose to leave, we've quite often already got people, you know, that in terms of hiring, it's not too challenging. And I think people really want to buy into the culture. We hear a lot, you know, interviews and stuff that people don't want to be, you know, living to work they want to have family time they want to have balance they want to enjoy themselves when they're at work and that's something that we're really invested into because me and Andrew also want to have family time and balance and enjoy ourselves um but yeah in terms of the little events I think it's just kind of naturally happened because we are quite laid back in the office so Thanksgiving dinner, for example, everybody chooses a dish. There's some weird and wonderful stuff on there um, because it is a traditional American dinner. And then everybody cooks and brings a dish in. So, and then we all enjoy it. Um, So it's just a little thing. It's not like, it's not mega really. Everyone just just cooks something. (laughs) But you're saying it's not mega, but actually other companies aren't doing it. And, And the opportunity that you're all getting together to be able to eat at the same time you know, really kind of you've put things on pause for even half an hour to be able to all get together, to be able to have have a conversation, to be able to chat to each other and to be able to sit and eat and share something that's really important to somebody else within the business, I think is kind of, it's invaluable. I think there's... Yeah, and I think it's, I think one thing I've got from sitting in the office is I have the mindset, I think, of the team because I feel like a team 
member. I don't feel disjointed. I feel like an employee in -hmm. a way. So I'm thinking, what would I like in my role? And then, so it's quite intuitive, the stuff that we're put in, it's not forced. So we don't do like dead corporate stuff where we're kind of, I think the more powerful stuff is things like, it was children need the other day, dropped my daughter off at school. I had the pudsy ears on. I was like, can we do anything in the office? Because we hadn't planned anything. We'd been so busy. And I thought, um, what will, what would people like want to donate for? Because I don't really want to go asking for donations. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's not the time to ask people for yeah. money to speak, is it? So I was like, oh, well, what would I want? Uh, an early finish. Like give any donation, even a quid or whatever, early finish and we can match it. Or like, you know, we're putting a target today. So we're like, if we can hit, obviously we're on Black Friday. If we can do a million quid month this month. So we've got like, what, five days of trading left, five or six. Everyone can have a day off next week. Or like, you know, just little things like what do people actually want? It's not like you know for Christmas we're thinking what's what what will people actually want this year do they really want a chocolate hamper no (laughs) they rather have the money yeah yeah so it's really just um thinking what would what would they want instead of like forced stuff yeah and I think it's just little things we've done with our team the other day we've just won a couple of awards over the last few weeks and it was just a bit of recognition for the team, you know, so bought them a nice spot of Prosecco, but then bought them a little uh, treat voucher for them to go and have a massage each, you know, like so the things that were kind of actually, you know, rest, relaxation, obviously really important to do. So something that they'll engage with and do something different, isn't it, to be able to, um, just to be able to enjoy, as, you know, as a, as a reward of being at work. That's yeah. That's positives come from it. And I think sometimes it's not always like you have to buy something or give something, um, it can just be like we just have a massive whooping round of applause in the office yeah. or like, you know, just little things in the summer, like on the hottest day, we just nipped out and got some ice lollies. Is it, it, well, there weren't even posh ones, but just just little stuff, you know, or well, just saying thank remember. you, saying thanks so much, saying well done means yeah. a lot. It does. And I, and I think that's what keeps that engagement up, isn't it? Because people don't expect it, but they're just nice little gestures that take place during the course of the year for all sorts of different reasons that's happened. Yeah. I think that, that people just engage with that more and more on a day-to-day basis because that's people want to be treated well and nicely, don't they? And, you know, ultimately you've got the opportunity to be able to treat other people in the way that you would want to be treated yourself. Exactly. And I think sometimes as a director, you can be so stressed out about certain things that you forget the little things. Yeah. And like don't underestimate the power that like an email has after someone's done a presentation just to say you know uh I thought that was absolutely excellent yeah you know something little like that can provide the biggest boost but I think in my early days of business I was just so overcome by the whole the stress of it all positive and negative you know, on that roller coaster, we achieved amazing things, but I, just my head was just in this place that was constantly, what's the next thing? Or what we're going to do about this? What we're going to do about that? And I think I forgot the little things like just the email or the ice lollies. And so it was, it's just been nice to be able to focus on that. 
And it's nice to be able to you know, do that together with your husband and then you can take that moment of step back to be able to reflect on actually what would work, what doesn't work, what's been successful. And as you say, it doesn't always have to cost a fortune to do something, you know, because people recognise the smaller things like yesterday's uh, Thanksgiving lunch is something little, but, uh, you know, probably very, very much appreciated, not just by the lady who's from America, but from the other, the rest of the team there as well, isn't it? Yeah, and I think with the Thanksgiving lunch, it wasn't us. It was everybody, so... Mm-hmm. It's like we said thank you to, like we all said thank you to each other. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that was like our gift. It was yeah. just everybody coming just together. Everybody in, yeah, everybody interacting. And I think people like different levels of recognition. So some people aren't really bothered about recognition at all, aren't they? Other people do love the emails. Some people just love kind of, you know, that, I don't know, sometimes text message at the end of the day to be able to say a fantastic job, you know, we've done amazing or we used to, I used to work in automotive um, when I had a proper job um, and we uh, we would have a massive thing around safety. We used to, have, we got to a point where we just had accident after accident all the time um, and we put new things in place. But actually to get 150, mainly men, I think there was three women work there, get these guys on board to be able to think, right, okay, what can we do to kind of engage them? So we used to often do, as you say, think about what they want. You know, if we reach a certain um, amount of days without any accident, we would give them an extra day's holiday because people would engage with it. Would would have big signs and posters up, you know, safety, the safety first and kind of taking safety home with you and really trying to raise that profile at the beginning of every meeting. We would talk about, is there any safety concerns with it? Then they would reward them with, I don't know, Domino's pizzas or kind of KFC or something, which was always a nightmare getting that for 150 people. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> in HR, that was my job. Um, <laughs> so, but, but it was those things that actually, when it came to the fact that we needed to recruit new people, would create this culture that everybody liked, you know, mm-hmm. and, and actually we didn't, you know, that a lot of that industry is kind of you have to pay to get new people in. Recruit a whole shift of people without actually paying a penny you know because people referred family and friends and we got extra people in because the culture was right and people wanted to be there and actually we were lying inside at Nissan at the time so there was a differential of how we were behaving and how they were behaving and people want to be with us and mm-hmm. I think that's a real a real positive thing because people knew that we wanted them and they wanted to be there and you know it was that it was that engagement element of it. I think word of mouth like is such a big thing if people are talking, if they're going home and they're whinging about work, people aren't going to want to work there. So no, I think referrals is probably a really great way of measuring culture and buy-in um, because it shows that people are going home and talking positively about their work. So we get loads of people coming through like, oh, just even could, you know, this person do entry level just to get their foot in the door you know, they're a bit overqualified for this role, but they're just, and it's like there's a bit of a buzz about it. So yeah. And when people do trial shifts on the floor and stuff, if people are happy, they want to be there. If, if people aren't happy, it's, it's a bit of a trial for them. And I absolutely think as well, doing interviews now, it's not just us vetting someone. I try, I don't like it when it's just us firing a million questions. It's them figuring out, if they want to be part of it as well. So I feel a responsibility to let them know what the culture is like here and see if they think that they would fit with that and if they would like that. That I think that's what's different in interview as well. It's not just like, you know, a schedule of get them in, grill them. And it's, yeah. it's kind of this is why you might like to come here. I think you've got to sell yourself as the business now, haven't you? You've got to sell yourself as the employer. What are you going to do? How are people going to engage with the business because of what it is that you put out there? I think that's 
that's now a if I, it's the way that companies who really want to take responsibility for who they are need to be when they're when they're interviewing people because what you, you want it costs so much to be able to get people in get them trained get them to do the job it, you know it's worth taking the time to get that process right to understand the culture and the the recruitment aspect of it bringing it in I think totally and I think because of our two-step interview process a lot of people get an interview with me or Andrew or both and we always talk about the strategy going forward we had a strategy day at the start of January and we had an illustrator there for it who's right. live illustrating and honestly it was just so good so we have these boards with all of the vision on like our gold vans that were dreamt up are drawn on and everything and so that was you just just to understand that so that was you you were all just talking you talking about strategy talking about the potential vision for the future and yeah. someone's drawn in the background all the different ideas that you were coming up with yeah yeah and, and you've got them on boards now yeah all of the managers supervisors everything we closed our eyes and imagined the vis- the vision for the future and the illustrator just drew it live and it was so, you so all just, cool. So you all just talked and they just drew, because obviously everybody else can't see the board, but the board's obviously kind of got all that vision on there. So as, as Alice said, kind of the gold vans and um, kind of a slice of the pie and so so many different things on there. The board looks amazing, absolutely amazing. So do you have those displayed around in the business as well, um, in the in the offices as well? So we have it in the, in the meeting room. Um, so we've got like values, strategy, vision, and then like SWOT analysis in pictures as well. Um, That's great. So we want to do another one soon, but we refer to those in interviews so we can show people visually the vision and the strategy. And they hear it directly from us. And I think there's a really big buy-in piece when people are able to speak to the owners of the business and hear the strategy directly from them. And if there's anything I would like to implement it going forward in the next 12 months, it's that every new starter would get some time with us where we can talk about that, even if we haven't been in the interview. Because I've heard of this in other organizations that even if it's a video call or whatever, everybody gets that time with the founder so they can understand where are we going and why are we doing what we're doing? And I think that's an absolutely amazing idea. And one of the things that I always talk about in businesses is people need to understand what their role is within the business and how that makes an impact. As in, if they don't do their role, then, you know, whether it's whether they're financially bring money into the business, not but what their part is. And if they're not doing that right or, you know, to the full extent, then obviously, you know, that impacts upon the rest of the team there as well, because, I think sometimes you just expect people to come in and do it and people always expect that there's money there to be paid at the end of the month, but actually understanding the strategy and their role in the business and what it plays and coming straight from a, a director and owner of the business is a fantastic opportunity for people to engage with it as well. Yeah, totally. And and telling them about stuff like, you know, investment or, you know, what we're trying to raise and where it's going to go. Because I think what can happen is things can filter through that are kind of Chinese whispers or like the headline points like, oh, we're looking to raise a million pounds in investment. And then, you know, naturally people will be like, well, what's that going to be put into or, you know, Mm -hmm. whereas if we talk about it, and I think that's what's been really important with the transparency, we talk about why are we raising funds where are they going to go? How is it going to help us grow? How is it going to impact you? And how is it going to impact your share option value as well? So 
that's all the stuff that you they probably wouldn't get if they just start and never get a chance to talk to us. Yeah. And transparency, I think the communication transparency is kind of the key to it all, isn't it? You know, you've you've got your people and you want to be able to bring them on, but ultimately the business doesn't work unless you've got the right people in place, does it? Yeah, absolutely. And transparency is so key, I think, from us as well. Like, I don't really get why, and this is what I used to do, as leaders we try and hide our emotions when actually it's so much easier if you just say, having a hard time at the moment because but I mean I know that people say like there's a line but other people in the organization are supported by their teams as a leader why shouldn't you also be supported why should you kind of feel alone so not that I've openly like you know been crying in the office <laughs> or anything but I think we're just, we've talked about stuff, you know, we've got a lot of females in the office and we say, like, if we're feeling pretty hormonal, like, do you think we should just, just say to anybody. each other, like, <laughs> I've got really bad PMT today, right? So if I'm, at the, you haven't done anything, Back I'm off. just in a right mood, like I'm angry at myself. Like, how much easier is it when you're just open and transparent? So that's the type of thing I, I definitely think we'll see ourselves moving further towards. Obviously, teams need to have confidence in their leaders that they're robust enough to lead through challenging situations. But we're all human. And I think it's good to talk about when when things are tough or when, you know, you might be feeling a bit stressed out. And I think part of that comes with you're not just the employer anymore, as in, you know, we, we end up being involved, our employees end up being involved in people's lives, don't they? You know, we've, we've got so many mental health issues and so many of our business that we're dealing with. And actually, it uh, was a comment that was made the other day, where they're not just looking after that business element of it, you know, that's kind of making sure that people can get to work and that everybody's kind of starting on, a, on an equal footing on the day. And actually, if someone has got something that they're concerned about, that they've got the forum to be able to speak and keeping that open relationship there with the the leadership with their managers because that helps the business doesn't it and for all you taking other people's burden on or concerns on but actually it helps you protect them and look after them and develop them and and also that buy-in from them is even bigger because they know that they've got you know some form of support within the business as well absolutely and one of my longer term ambitions on my vision board is I would love to have a coach in the business full-time that everyone can access not just for work but for personal completely confidential nothing yeah. would be shared but like because if you're struggling outside of work there's no way you can possibly deliver at work you know personal I think people think of like personal and work life like two separate things it's not life it's like, so, isn't it? Yeah. If you're feeling awful and you've got loads of stuff going on, like you, you're not going to be able to deliver. And I think a lot of people really struggle to access therapy in their yeah. personal lives because firstly, waiting lists are massive. Secondly, going to the GP and asking for help is a really daunting thing. You yeah. don't know what they're going to say. And then private therapy is very expensive. And having been through various different talking therapies and coaching and counseling and stuff in my career I really massively value talking therapies I just think like and coaching is just 
absolutely amazing. It can be life-changing. So I'd love to have someone full-time that people can access and they don't have to have waiting lists. You know, they can pop in, they can say, I'm struggling at the moment. And, and you've got that kind of person to talk to. I think that's an absolutely amazing idea as well, because there's so many businesses that can't afford to be able to do some additional support, but actually want to do something. They want to be able to help them out because you say it's, it is life in general, isn't it? It's not just uh, it's not just work. It's not just home. I kind of as the two things come together that they need the support on to be able to um, to be able to operate. I think, and we had a, an awful situation the other day when I when I was talking to somebody, and they had, um, you know, one child being diagnosed with autism, another child was getting, um, oh, sorry, ADHD, another child was getting diagnosed with autism. His wife was having a breakdown because of what was happening at home. He was having to come to work and deal with the day to day stuff at work, and you know, he's not going to turn up on his A game that day or any day because he's had you know problems during the evening before before he's got to and on that morning before he's got to work. So. To be able to provide some type of in-house service where people can call in, speak to them and have that ongoing support is would be absolutely amazing for a lot of businesses to be able to do. So I think that's a, a real credit to thinking in that type of way. I think that having that kind of resource in-house would take the barrier away because it wouldn't feel like a serious thing. And if you just had your appointment, like a routine one, and then you could work on whatever you wanted. Because what I found with therapy, like you because things change all the time you might start off with one thing then it might be completely different or you might be like oh I feel like I'm done you know just need to talk through it once um but you know there could be working on um you know performance-based coaching um the, or, and kind of where are you going in your career what's going to take you to the next level or they could just be listening or helping put some frameworks in, like to help someone cope, or, you know, talking about personal life stuff, whatever it is, I think it would be really good if it wasn't like too structured, it was fluid, and people just had their appointment and they could use it for whatever they wanted, rather than going onto a portal and putting in like a request because they think, you know, because I feel like once you've got to that point, that's maybe you know, a, quite far down the yeah. line. Maybe that support needs to come a bit earlier. So I'll keep you posted. That's like I'll one of my ambitions. Yeah. And I, I've got it on the list. I really, really would love that resource in-house. It's not, we can't have it right now, but I really hope by this time next year, we've got something. Yeah, we've got that. Yeah. I just think it would be amazing. I think just, I think because we interact with um, so many different services, because you say, you know, you don't always get it from the GP services. You don't always, the waiting lists are so ridiculously long. But as you say, if you've got someone that can help folks on your day to day, but also could have the focus on the business side around kind of your performance management or, you know, helping people think about the careers and their aspirations and the goals. Actually, where where do you normally get that support from? You, you know, people wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be able to provide that support in their normal day to day lives, would they? Exactly. And yeah. I think, you know, if people didn't want to utilize it, that would be fine too. Yeah. Like, you know, just, yeah. oh, I haven't got anything I want, I need. But, mm-hmm. in, yeah. you know, I just think it'd be so nice, even just to have a rant or something. Sometimes <laughs> just, people just need to tell someone, don't they? <laughs> they do. And I then they've got it out of their system. So, uh-huh. 
fingers yeah. crossed. Fingers crossed. That's it. But again, that's a good thing for your strategy board, isn't it? I wonder how that was drawn on yes. the strategy board. <laughs> well, I didn't have that on it, but I want to do another strategy day and see how this has changed because we've got quite a lot of stuff ticked off. Yeah. Well, I think it would be good to do that on an annual basis, wouldn't it? Because then, uh, no doubt, as the team's grown as well, you've got new people. And to keep that as being an annual basis, that would be an amazing thing for people mm-hmm. just to engage with, isn't it? Exactly. Just a, a couple of uh, points, to, I suppose, to finish off with. So what would be your biggest piece of advice for a business owner or manager um, that they can realistically implement to improve the culture within their business? If you're not already, sit with your team for part of the week, at least. That's just a really simple thing. But I think a leader, a manager sitting amongst their team and don't expect everybody to be silent with their head down all the time. I know this is actually hard because of work from home. And I don't know how we would do that because although we put in work from home during the pandemic, most people just came into the office because they knew that they'd be missing out on banter. Yeah. So, um, so I don't know how you would do that with work from home. But I just think being having time with your team and also not trying to appear perfect yourself. Yeah. Uh, I think that's kind of showing you your human side that makes people open up to you. I think the interaction with the team is so important. And obviously, you know, a lot of businesses did work from home and actually still are. But I think what I'm seeing is a rise of more people getting people back in the office. Even if I was speaking to somebody yesterday and they were like, every Tuesday, the whole team comes back in the office. So we're all together at least one day of the week. And I think just implementing things like that so people are visible and know who each other, know what each other are doing as well, isn't it? That engagement with each other, I think, is really important aspect of being able to understand how the business goes forward as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that work, like, I think some people, or this is like a bit of an old school way of thinking, personally, I feel, think work is like logging on and ticking stuff off. But actually, I think that good work is a a creative, collaborative process. So that's kind of what I would see as the the gauge of success on that kind of are you getting creativity and collaboration yeah the working together element of it isn't it people being a team I think helps move things forward definitely where can listeners find out more about you and Rowan Holmes um on all the socials I was gonna say on every social media platform <laughs> yeah we love social um and on LinkedIn if you are kind of looking from a more well I suppose this is HR type podcast so I'm guessing most people will have LinkedIn so yeah come and connect with me or follow um, and you'll see more about us and the team and I post pretty casually on there but I try to post every day um, and put a lot of team stuff on and pretty much all of our team are on LinkedIn as well. Which is great and as you say obviously the the socials that you put out for, for Rowan Holmes are great and I think I think did you you put one out the other day about the um, the Christmas tree wasn't it was it a hydrangea Christmas yes. tree What did you get How many million people did you get seeing that I think it's on one and a half million on Instagram maybe three million on TikTok I need to check updated stats on the other channels But, but yeah but that's amazing isn't it Like amazing coverage that you've got there Which is is really the root of how you can develop the business isn't it To grow the business Yeah so we um. We do a lot of kind of organic stuff and we try and wow and do like crazy stuff basically um, and to cut through and and that's what goes on our ads and stuff. 
Yeah, and that tree looked amazing. And I did also love that bar that you made the other day as well. <laughs> Thank <laughs> that you. That and looked good as well. The team in the set as part of the campaign. So three um, of the team. Yeah. I didn't even organise that. They just Did you not? Yeah, it was like, <laughs> oh, the two Maddies and Brooke are doing it. So like people are dead happy to volunteer. Yeah. But that comes back to that empowerment as well, doesn't it? You know, people want to take responsibility and they wanted to make it work, isn't it? Yeah, and I think confidence as well. Because, you know, when you're going in and saying, can anyone will anyone do this for me? It's kind of like people are like, oh, I don't really want to go on camera. Whereas if they're feeling confident, they just volunteer themselves. Yeah, and just want to push and do a little bit more. Yeah. You know what I say to my team, we're doing some pictures, or we're doing some videos, they're like, again. We used to be <laughs> like that, yeah. Oh, yeah. people would run, physically run and hide. I just don't do it, not tell them. <laughs> we'll not tell them about any pictures until we need to. As long as we <laughs> find that disclaimer, which is like we're taking pictures in the office. <laughs> we will be doing that today. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Real World HR podcast. And thank you so much for the incredible Alice for joining us today. You can find more information about the things we've discussed in this episode in the show notes. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Real World HR, putting the human back into HR.